Today's episode is sponsored by Feather. Feather provides digital marketing tools and strategies for nonprofits of all shapes and sizes, including the Humane Society of North Central Florida. Stick around for the break to hear how Feather powered their $300 digital ad campaign that raised nearly $6,000 in just one day. Hey, I'm John. And I'm Becky. And this is the We Are For Good podcast. Nonprofits are faced with more challenges to accomplish their missions and the growing pressure to do more, raise more, and be more for the causes that improve our world. We're here to learn with you from some of the best in the industry, bringing the most innovative ideas, inspirational stories, all to create an impact uprising. So welcome to the good community. We're nonprofit professionals, philanthropists, world changers, and rabid fans who are striving to bring a little more goodness into the world. So let's get started. Hey, Becky, what's happening? Oh, I am just have the biggest grin on my face for the amazing human that is in our wake today. I know. We are like going to West Hollywood to hang with a person that really has her finger on the pulse of just what's happening now in the media, but in the best of ways. I mean, she is a narrative strategist and impact advisor. We're talking to Kristen Marston. She's the chief impact officer of the league, but her experience is crazy, y'all. We're trying to hold together our imposter syndrome. She has worked to develop culturally informed narratives for companies, you know, like Netflix and HBO Max and MTV and Amazon, all the big players. And she's advised more than a hundred major films and television projects, including Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) So there's so many things here, but we're really fascinated by Kristen and we've been tracking her with her for a long time because she is plugged in most recently to work with the league. And the league is this really incredible social impact collective that's taking the reach and the visibility of pop culture to inspire civic engagement in the new American majority. They're this diverse coalition that's leading America forward, both politically and culturally. And so I just feel like we just want to bask and sit in the midst and and really explore this idea of ethical storytelling too, because that is a narrative that we've been lifting a lot this season. And the way we tell stories and the way we represent the people that we're serving and just being in touch and proximity with that too is just so important. And so you're just delighted to have Kristen today on the podcast. So welcome to the show. So glad you're here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. Well, it is a huge honor. I wonder if you would take us back, Kristen, take us to little Kristen before you're in West Hollywood, or maybe you grew up in West Hollywood, but tell us kind of your winding path that led you to pouring into this work and really dedicating your life to this space. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I always have to start with my childhood growing up in Denver and um, grew up in a predominantly white area. Um, and there just wasn't a lot of education about people who were different. Right. And so, you know, as it can often be when you're not a part of the majority, it can, it can be pretty illuminating in what happens when the media doesn't represent people who look like you. So I was very acutely aware of the impacts of this, um, at a pretty young age. So there was this kid in my third grade class and he told me that he didn't like white people or black people because uh, black people are in gangs and black people jump people, right? And we're living in the suburbs, mind you, right? Um, there are no gangs <laughs> where we're from. So I'm, I'm like an eight-year-old, you know, eight um, like, what is this kid talking about? And um, that's when I really started forming my perceptions about how the media was teaching people about what I am supposed to be and what black people are supposed to be. And so it kind of sent me down this long winding path, um, ending up where I was. I started out in advertising um, and, you know, marketing and and such, and really always had a passion for arts and storytelling and, you know, moved to LA to um, get in sort of uh, 
the marketing space. And my first job here, I was pretty unhappy um, transparently because I realized there was just this lack of interest. And this was before, you know, Oscar's so white. And a lot of these conversations started moving in LA about the need for more voices at the table. And I, I wanted to help, but the place that I was employed at didn't have any interest in that. And that was really sad and depressing to me. I was like, I will volunteer my time. So I started researching uh, institutions and, and places that I could go in LA where I can make an impact on the media that we see. And I reached out to a lot of amazing people across LinkedIn, started having really amazing conversations. And they were also supportive. But one thing they said is, you're not really going to find an opportunity doing this work because there's the people at the studios who are making $500,000 a year and they're not going anywhere. So, you know, this is really sweet and this is admirable that you want to do this, uh, but there's not really a place for you to land. Um, but, you know, one thing that I can say is that I, I, I pushed on because I knew that there was a gap. And so ended up learning about the industry, uh, working um, to help uh, directors in the entertainment industry and help them on the career path, but quickly learned that there was more, which is very important, right? There's this, this aspect of the industry that's the inclusion pipeline, but then there's this other piece of inclusive storytelling and quickly, quickly learned that there was a huge gap there. Um, and so started um, working with nonprofits to consult on uh, inclusive projects and storylines and, uh, and, and ended up landed here. Wow. I, I love that first question. Just understanding where someone's come from, their lived experience. I, I have an eight-year-old daughter and I just, I can't help picturing her face when you tell me that story of prejudice. And it, and it, it just gives me such hope when I see you s- sitting here, you know, looking so beautiful and empowered and strong and what you're doing and how that experience is, is informing a more equitable future for all the little girls out there. And and I, I love the league so much. And what you all have built here is nothing short of beautiful, inclusive, empowering. And I, I think what's so wonderful Wonderful about what you do. It's it's this great work that's at the intersection of culture and politics. And so when you're standing in this space, you're advocating and fighting for this future where everyone who makes the up the new American majority can act, engage, and thrive. And, and I love that concept of new American majority because you know, we, we're a do-good space and we're a community of people who believe in pouring into purpose, pouring into social impact, pouring into good, something as benign that we don't think is benign at all. We think it's everything, which is kindness and compassion to each other. And what you all are doing is just lighting it on fire on the league. So I want you to talk a little bit about the league because you're working with activists, celebrities, businesses, philanthropists, filmmakers, social justice, community-based organizations, blah, I mean, on and on and on. Talk to our listeners kind of and give them an overview of your work. And I would love to hear how you're working with nonprofits as well. Absolutely. Um, Thank you for that introduction. I'm so excited to have joined the league about six months ago. It's such a powerhouse of a team. And I, I feel so honored to be a part of the amazing work that they have, they have started. And, um, you know, and like you mentioned, uh, the league, we really just, we're rooted in the foundation that culture is powerful. 
um, culture is power, right? And um, we believe in weaving together that culture with advocacy and politics to uh, impact the communities on the ground and move the conversations that matter most out into the world. And so uh, we are uh, a small um, team of, of experts from different aspects um, aspects of different industries. And so that gives us kind of the flexibility and nuance to take on really creative projects and projects that we believe matter um, and that we know matter um, based on our research, based on our collaborations with other nonprofits, other um, other community leaders who are working on the ground. And so that work can take, you know, many forms and um, we take on a multitude of different types of projects. But as you know, uh, one thing that I'm really passionate about is the entertainment, entertainment side of the work. So, um, you know, I'll share with you a little bit more about um, what we've been working on there. Um, on our entertainment side, we really believe in strategically convening um, and creating and um, advising the entertainment industry. And so um, we, um, we do this specifically through, um, we can, we advise on scripts and rough cuts. So as you mentioned, you know, working with creators throughout the, the production process, anywhere in the production process to um, help make sure that their projects have the intended maximum impact, but also to help reduce harm, right? We want to make sure um, communities are represented accurately, inclusively. So that could mean, like I said, reading scripts, watching rough cuts of projects. It could be down to product review. So looking at the dolls, um, their accessories, um, what products are going to go to market. It could be hair textures, um, skin tones, um, anything like that. Um, and then we also strategically lead film impact campaigns. And so um, uh, that could be uh, leading impact campaigns on uh, documentary films. We have one that's coming out in a month called When Claude Got Shot, actually next month now on May 9th, um, airing on PBS. So uh, When Claude Got Shot um, about uh, gun violence, um, a man who experienced gun violence um, on the ground um, visiting his hometown in Milwaukee at a family or at a, a class reunion. Um, and so uh, we get to um, kind of strategically bring people together in these ways and then also convening creators and ex experts. So we really believe in bringing people together to develop cutting edge strategies, right? We know that it's important to bring together voices from across um, the spectrum in the industry and that uh, we, you know, I believe that like, I'm not the representation of when I go into these rooms, I'm not the only representation of what, um, a black woman is or a biracial person is right. It's important to bring other voices into the table and, um, really to, to have inclusive content. We need to make sure that, um, we're, um, we're bridging, bridging the gaps that existed previously in the conversations that weren't happening in the silos and, um, and bringing everyone together to ensure everyone has, has a seat and a voice and, and feels represented, represented and seen and heard. I mean, it's a beautiful thing that y'all are doing. And I just love that there's a conversation happening, you know, because yep. like I had mentioned in the intro, we've, we've dove deeply into ethical storytelling this year because a lot of the missions that listen to us like deal with some of the most heartbreaking work on the planet, you know, and it gets hard and it brings up Trump trauma to people that have lived it or people that are on the front lines of it. And I think that there's a lot of power in making sure that the way that the narrative is told and story told and the words used and the visuals used wouldn't be triggering and wouldn't, you know, come across and cause more harm. I heard you say that. And I think what a good moniker, you know, for this. So I just wonder, like, practically speaking, what does that look like as you push back? You know, as you're sitting in the room with a rough cut or reviewing a script, what, I mean, what are the things that you're seeing that you're helping 
guide people along that maybe could help us as guideposts too? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the most common things that I see is that some projects are created within the industry that have not included the communities on the ground that are most impacted. And even if the project is written well and, and is seemingly very well, you can tell. You can tell that there's a there's this authenticity that is missing. And so the more that we can engage people who have been impacted themselves um, or have experienced those things, the more powerful the script is. And so one thing that it has taken a lot of education because you know, the entertainment industry, people are really, you know, these are people's creative projects. They're, they're sensitive about it as they should be. Right. Um, And very protective. But one thing that we've had to do some educating on and that um, I've learned over the years is that like, it's important to, to break down those barriers and let people into the conversation. And it's not, it's not taking away from their project. It's actually adding to, right. Like um, we are not, we, it, we don't have sign off authority. We're not like taking over their project and, and, you know, but, but it adds that extra layer of authenticity that, um, that some projects are lacking. And so, um, so I think, you know, really bringing in communities on the ground. And that is also the benefit of working with nonprofits because we have, we have that eye into what's going on in the nonprofit philanthropy um, communities and, um, we know the the issues that are most pressing um, and the narratives that are most pressing that we want to see in the next five to 10 years. And little, little tiny changes can impact how people are going to feel down the line, right? We look at things like, like, um, like Fresh Prince, for example, because the reboot just came out. But like, we think about how that conversation about Fresh, Fresh Prince is still happening, right? Like, 20, 20 year old shows are resurfacing and people are still having those conversations. And if we know this content is going to exist five, 10, 15, 20 years down the line, we want to make sure that, you know, yes, we it, it's going to have an impact today, but how are people going to feel about it down the line? And how is that going to shape the next generations? And so having someone at the table who can have that foresight, it it adds that, that layer um, that we want to have. And we really want to be shaping those cultural conversations and be ahead of them and be able to be at the forefront of, of the change we want to see in this country. Okay. That was such a powerful stance and counsel that you gave right there, because to me, the show is not just a show at that point any longer. It's not just entertainment. I mean, the cultural relevance in it, and P.S., I have um, the Fresh Prince theme song now running in my head on (laughs) Autotune, West Philadelphia. Uh, But I, I do think the responsibility of that weighs so heavily. And I want to thank you for what you just said, which I think is one of the underpinnings of how we can make storytelling so ethical, is making sure that the voice of the person is the thing that's empowered. Not our narratives, not our saviorism, not what we're trying to get across with our mission. It is about a co-build. And there is such dignity in that. And it's gonna and it's gonna require a little bit more hand holding, which I think is a hundred percent worth it to ask questions like, 
How does this feel to you? You know, is it is this is where we're planning to put this? Does that feel good for you? Is this the photo that you feel best represents you that puts you in the best light? So thank you for talking about just the responsibility you have in this, that these things cannot just be one off. And it really truly gives me a lot of hope that there are people out there that are leaning into it at this level because we'll feel the impact of this. Our children will feel the impact of this as generations to come. But I want to kind of pivot into how to craft these culturally informed narratives. You know, you've worked with Time's Up and some of the biggest names in Hollywood to inspire civic engagement. You've created systemic change as you've been crafting these culturally informed narratives. Can you kind of take our listeners into the think tank with, with you? What are the key elements of crafting these culturally informed narratives and how can they apply them in their missions? Yeah, absolutely. I think, number one, it's the piece we just explored about um, incorporating uh, conversations from communities on the ground. And I'll give a quick example, actually, of that. So it could be something like, um, oh, I I decided I wanted to write a script about Black children in Chicago, right? I see that a lot. So, well, okay, well, you may have never been to Chicago. Is there anyone from Chicago, a Black person from Chicago involved in the project? But also what happens is when the scripts or the project gets gets crafted um, and then you actually hear from people who live in Chicago, they say, well, yeah, like, wow, like some of these things do happen in my community, right? I did experience some violence or um, I did experience some of these things in my neighborhood and that may be true. But also if you look at um, how it's set up in the film, like if you if you picture what you've seen about like Chicago, for example, just just for for the sake of this reference, um, it might be like gun violence and empty streets or like people looking like they're in gangs hanging in corners. And some of those things, right, might be true. But then also people in the community are like, but they didn't show like kids riding their bikes or people barbecuing or you know, family visiting or, you know, uh, people listening to music, right? Like all those things that are missing from the nuance of our lives. And so when you add that nuance back in, you get so much more layers. Um, and so in crafting the narr- crafting the narratives, it's it's working with communities and leaders who who have that expertise, people who have lived in the community. It's being able to see the nuance, right? Like, like I said, none of us are experts on every part of anyone's identity, right? Like not me, not anyone who does this work, right? So the more voices we can bring to the table to add that nuance, always the better. Um, and so, um, and then and then like, I'm, I'm big, you know, when we think about like nonprofit work, like coalition building, there's so many amazing people doing amazing work. And when we can all um, come together and share resources, I think that has been a beautiful thing. Uh, one thing that I would love to see more of um, is uh, like conversations about shared narratives. And those conversations are certainly happening, but I, I think the power of them um, is, is sometimes not discussed um, as loudly as I would love to hear. to hear. So, you know, I think about, and I was certainly not a, a part of this, unfortunately, but like when I think about like the LGBTQ movement and like this shared narrative um, of, you know, of marriage equality, right, was very strong because there was kind of this shared, we, you know, like we, we deserve marriage equality, 
you know? Um, and, you know, that certainly was not the final step in the narrative process, right? Like, um, but there was sort of this like shared vision that these coalitions and these um, organizations were able to move forward together. And so, um, you know, I think that there's all these things that we can do as individuals, but also the more that we come together, we can also do really beautiful things. Hey friends, this episode is presented by Virtuous and they just happen to be one of our favorite companies. Let me tell you why. You know we believe everyone matters and we've witnessed the greatest philanthropic movements happen when you see and activate donors at every level. And here's the thing, Virtuous created a fundraising platform to help you do just that. It's much more than a nonprofit CRM. Virtuous is committed to helping charities reimagine generosity through responsive fundraising, which is simply putting the donor at the center of fundraising growing giving through personalized donor journeys, and by helping you respond to the needs of every individual. We love it because this approach builds trust and loyalty through personalized engagement. Sound like Virtuous may be a fit for your organization? Learn more today at virtuous.org or follow the link in our show notes. Hey friends, are you ready to take your digital engagement to the next level, but kind of feel stuck about where to start? Let us introduce you to Feather. Feather is an amazing tech startup focused on making nonprofit outreach more impactful by connecting you to your audience, wherever they are online. From fundraising to program awareness, they've got you covered. And rather than tell you, we just wanted to show you. For years, the Humane Society of North Central Florida has participated in a local online giving day called The Amazing Give. It's a competitive landscape for donations. So in 2021, the Humane Society knew they needed to stand out in order to maximize donations. For $300 in ad spend, their retargeting ads brought 119 visitors to their Amazing Give donation page and generated nearly $6,000 in donations in just one day. With Feather, a small amount of ad spend can go a long way. Learn more about their solutions for nonprofits at feather.co. That's feather without the last e.co. Now let's get back to this amazing conversation. Yeah. Okay, I got to jump in here one time because you said a word that I use all the time in my storytelling, and I've used this with my f- photographer, and I don't want anybody to miss it, and it's nuance. And if you can capture nuance, and what I love about what you're saying is nuance is a micro moment. It is a micro moment where you can see something, you can picture it, you can feel it, you know what that experience was like, you feel like you're in the room with someone. Making sure that you lean into that nuance is an excellent approach that Kristen just threw down. Love it. Yeah. And I, I love the partnerships piece that you were talking about on that too, because we talk a lot about how nonprofits can come in from a position of power. And it's like, as we're lifting whoever it is we're serving, part of our mission is advocating for them and being this, you know, in their corner on these type of things. And so I think the way that we're portraying storytelling and, you know, in our own ways is so important. And so I wonder, I'd kick it to you to ask, you know, love to hear your thoughts around creating media that's reflective of the communities that our organizations are working with. And y'all do this at the league so beautifully. So I wonder if you just have want to riff on that for a minute. Yeah. So, you know, when thinking about like organizations who are, you know, uh, thinking about thinking about doing this work, I think it's really important that they have someone who, um, right, like it's, it's great to have someone who understands social impact, right? Like that's very crucial, um, whether it's like an entertainment studio or production company or, you know, nonprofit, it's very important, right? And then there's this deeper level 
um, that I would love to see more of is having people who understand um, systems and structures, right? And that's different than just social impacts, right? Which is certainly a part of my work and very important, right? Where we may look at a script and say, ooh, this isn't gonna sit right, this doesn't feel right. That's very important. Then there's this layer that's a little bit deeper or a lot deeper where it's saying, okay, like um, racism might be someone like graffitied something on the wall or says something racist to someone in passing, right? Those, those things happen and they're valid. And it's, it's, they are, these things are, are important to tell stories of because they, they highlight tactics that are upholding the systems and structures. But when people just see tactics, it's easy for them to say, well, yeah, I mean, they can wash that graffiti off or, you know, like, you know, words will never hurt you, you know, like sticks and stones. Right. And so what, what we need more people in storytelling to do is highlight the, the systems and structures that allow for those things to exist in the first place. And so, you know, those things wouldn't be normalized if there wasn't an underlying system of inherent racism in our political systems and at the forefront of our country's founding and policies, right? And until we start highlighting those things, it's really hard to uproot them because people don't, people really don't have that foundational understanding of what that is. So the more that we can highlight it in TV and film, the more people say like, they get angry. You know, they get, they start to understand on a deeper level. And so some of the shows that I've worked on to do that are, um, so for example, um, uh, during my time at Color of Change, we worked on a couple seasons of The Rookie and they're such an amazing writing team. But one thing we really worked with them hard on their last season um, was uh, to talk about like the systems and structures and policing. And so like some of those things could be um, one thing that they did was actually showing a police officer being held accountable for his actions. And, you know, like actually um, being held back in the police force and not like advancing um, because of something that he did, like showing showing the the consequences and like what what the conversations are between police and the communities and what what exploring community policing in the world we want to see uh, could look like and and like um, really exploring those conversations in a way um, that dig a little bit deeper. So so uh, you know social impact, yes. Um, but also uh, people who can, you know, again, look at like how these narratives are going to impact us in five years, 10 years, 15 years, and even how they're going to impact the way that people go out and vote, um, the way that people think about policy, right? Like one of the things um, we noted is that, um, like, for example, Black women are missing highly as victims of violent crime. Well, how does that affect viewers when they go out and vote for policies that support Black women? Right. Like if black women are there's there's a significant amount of missing black women and girls in this country. Right. Like missing. And if we think that because of the content we consume, black women aren't really victims of crime. We don't really see that as a priority when we think about policy, when we think for searching for people that are missing, when we think for advocating for domestic violence for women and black women of color. Um, and so like really thinking about the implications of what we're putting in our content or what we're not putting into our content. I think the last thing I'll say is just, yeah, anything that pushes us past that, the status quo, you know, like what we've already been doing, how can we think a little bit deeper? 
and I just hear this bias toward action. It's like, how are you activating people, mm-hmm. you know, through the power yeah. of media? And I love that you're harnessing that moment because I mean, heck, I'm a vegetarian because of a documentary, right? <laughs> so it's like things just <laughs> change. Like the media does shape how we can understand things in today's world. And so um, appreciate all of that. It's fascinating to dive into it. Yeah. It's really interesting on so many levels. I mean, we were just having this conversation with our colleague, Ma- Mallory Erickson, who is literally keeping a tally on her phone of the amount of times she sees in the media how many times fundraisers and nonprofit is misrepresented in story where mm-hmm. the fundraiser is abusing power or donors are advancing the overhead myth. And these are systemic issues that keep us, you know, grounded in scarcity and they don't allow us to mm-hmm. live abundantly. So I just think this concept is something that everyone can pour into wherever you are where in social media and and I think bravery is a key component of it and making sure that you're speaking up when you see something that's misaligned out of alignment with you and with equity I kind of want to dive into this meeting of the moment of right now I mean we're sitting in such a unique time in our world with social justice and the political divide um, we're watching Russia and Ukraine in this war and there's so many power dam- dynamics going on and so many of our conversations this season have really pointed back to meeting the moment in the world today. What advice do you have for our listeners on the front lines of the largest crises? How can they meet the moment by channeling these ideas and these themes that you're perpetuating at the league? Mm. Well, I love what you just touched on. um, And is that, you know, no matter what um, our occupation or our position in the world, um, you know, we are we are in a time where we have social media and we have a voice outside of the workspace. And, you know, a, a lot of these writers rooms that I work with now have their own Twitters, you know, like uh, you can, you can tweet at the writers, the writers rooms and give suggestions. And like you said, it doesn't have to be tearing someone down. Um, but I've heard a lot of executives, you know, like the executives at Disney, for example, put on social media that they, they moved a project forward because a little girl wrote them and said, I want to see myself on TV. And projects have gotten made um, off of letters from little girls, right? Um, And so, you know, I think never underestimate the power of those little things we do. And also to your point, the things that we do with kindness, you know, sometimes people need a push, right? But also like talking to people in a way that they listen, right? We're coming out of a pandemic and people want to feel supported and, and seen and heard. And so anything that we can do to kind of close those gaps, and I, I mean, and to your point, like we're in literal wars, we're in culture wars in this country, and this is not a time to be afraid to expand past traditional models. Um, this is not the time. And so I'm really big on filling the gaps. And so, you know, as I mentioned, that's like how I got into my career. So I'm like, it's like, um, if you see a gap, you know, don't be afraid to fill it. And I think what's interesting about this culture change work is when I started, it felt like it was there was a few of us like doing the work. And there's there were some of the the big players who had been doing this for quite some time, like Glad and I think Planned Parenthood had been doing some work. But um, there wasn't um, there was just kind of this little group of us who were consulting on TV shows from like these different perspectives, like, um, you know, and like domestic workers and, and, and elder care and immigrants and black people. Right. And, and that group is growing and we're seeing like this interest in this 
this space. And I like, I so welcome this because um, like I said, I mean, we all have a story to tell. Like we all see things from different perspectives. You know, like I love my job and I go into a writer's room and I hope that I leave them with something that they hadn't thought about before, but we can learn something from everybody. And so like, how amazing is it that this space is growing, growing so quickly? And um, I do think that uh, in, in the nonprofit space, being open to investing in culture change strategies. You know, there's a lot of nonprofits who, you know, really sit firmly in the um, traditional space, which we need. It's so important. But if there is interest there, not to be afraid to kind of step out of that line, because sometimes there is that there's that gap that needs to be closed, because if you you want people to vote, but they don't understand even what voter voter suppression is, for example, right? And that's actually, that's a narrative strategy. That's a culture strategy, right? Like they may know that like I go vote and it's really hard. Like, why is there no air conditioning in here? And why is the line seven hours? They may not know that that's voter suppression. And right, like, and so there's narrative and culture shift storytelling that has to happen at the forefront of that for some people. And so like, the more we can tag team or like add strategies into our orgs, like the, 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 the more, the better. And I think it's just a really exciting time because more people are starting to step into that space. And the little group that we started out as has really started to expand and, and I love it. Wow. That is beautiful. And I just think of the person that is in the writing room, the person that's holding some of the power um, in whatever situation that you're listening to this today like what a call to like be curious and to welcome and open up your table because we're dealing with things that are hard to figure out and to navigate and we need voices to come through and share experiences so we can better connect and better understand and be more empathetic and all the things that we're fighting for. I know from a value and mission standpoint, so many people listening to this podcast, but it's like, where can you personally do that in your area of whatever you're watching over? So thank you for that, all of that. Um, you know, we love philanthropy. We talk about it all the time (laughs) on this podcast because we know how it just changes us from the inside out as we're involved in it. Not just always the impact, but like our own story. Would you take us back to a moment of philanthropy that's really moved you in your life that you would share with us today? Interesting question. So I will say it, it maybe isn't a specific act, but you know, when I was working, I'm working at a black racial justice organization during the uprisings, right? And to see the outpouring of like donations and support of black uh, black businesses and black owned nonprofits was huge. And so, you know, like I said, it's not a specific moment, um, but I was really grateful to see an amount of support that I had not seen um, or heard of in my lifetime um, for the black community. And so you know, my hope after that moment, and as we're like now, you know, two years, two years out is that like, we, we don't forget that. And we continue to reinvest into communities of color and like, not, not only do those things in moments of crisis, but to support each other and um, bring each other forward. And so to have those, right, like, it's not just going to a, a, you know, Korean bakery because something happened, right? Like actually supporting local businesses and um, not just, you know, donating to um, Black community or promoting a Black person because there's uprisings happening, um, but actually really um, uh, continuing to be um, thinking about those things on a daily basis, but also in the, the, the philanthropy world, because we know, 
you know, a lot of um, black uh, businesses aren't receiving the same funding and, and, and uh, support. And, um, you know, so I'll say that I was really inspired by that moment because um, people were really showing up, you know, like people were really showing up in a strong way. And um, it gives me hope that, um, you know, people's eyes have kind of opened into the opportunities and the different ways that, you know, money can be invested and the different ways that uh, we can support our communities. So I thought, you know, there was a lot of, it was a really tough moment for, for all of us, but I think, you know, there was some beauty in people um, thinking about things in a new way and, and investing their money in a new way. I think that's such a beautiful, gentle reminder and, you know, that hope springs eternal, you know, because I think it's very easy to get caught up in the last two years and to just feel the fatigue. And um, I mean, whether you lost somebody in the pandemic or not, it has been incredibly hard to endure while also watching, you know, social justice, you know, initiatives coming out. I even think of like the stop Asian hate and there's, there's so much going on right now. And, and I do agree with you that I feel like the awakening that's beginning to happen, at least in social settings online gives me tremendous hope. And I think it's also a great call to action, what you just said, which is we don't have to lean into this just during times of crises. In fact, it may be even more powerful if we lean into it when there are not. Great call to action. Kristen, you're just so generous. I'm just so thrilled that you are in your position and truly influencing a lot of these movements that I'm sure we're going to see that are going to be growing on and on over the next, you know, decade, two decades that, you know, from this point forward. So got to ask you our final question. We end all of our interviews with a one good thing. And we wonder what your one good thing is that you would offer up to our audience. It could be a mantra or a life hack. What's your advice? Mm, I would say take care of each other. Uh, it sounds so simple, but this work isn't always easy. You know, we're dealing with a lot of tough, tough topics. And I feel like um, in order for us to continue thriving and making a real impact with each other, we can't we can't leave each other behind. You're such a good person, and I love that your values are like threaded through <laughs> Every everything that, you, that you say. Yeah, and it's wonderful. I, I will rest easier knowing that you are shepherding, you know, Gray's Anatomy to be more inclusive in all these shows <laughs> that we enjoy. So. You know, how can people connect with the league? How can they connect with you? You're such a light and the work that y'all are doing really is shifting and there's a lot to learn in the work that y'all are doing. Can you point us to social media and websites and all those things? Yes, uh, you can check us out at uh, wearetheleague.org. Um, such an amazing team um, uh, and excited. We'll, we, we will be continuing to update on some upcoming projects, the film impact campaigns we have coming up. So definitely Ooh. check out our website um, and... Uh, you can find me on on LinkedIn. Um, I am Kristen Marston on LinkedIn, um, and uh, you can also find me on Twitter, Miss Kristen M I S S K R I S, the number ten. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's a good. You got that handle. <laughs> <laughs> good brand, personal branding. Well, 
Well, I just thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Thank you for putting it into context that I think everyone can understand no matter where they're working and living that are listening to this podcast. It just gives me a tremendous amount of peace to know that you are doing the work that you're doing. So keep going. We are rooting for the league and we'll be following you closely. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Hey friends, thanks so much for being here. Did you know we create a landing page for each podcast episode with helpful links, freebies, and even shareable graphics? Be sure to check it out at the link in this episode's description. You probably hear it in our voices, but we love connecting you with the most innovative people to help you achieve more for your mission than ever before. We'd love for you to join our good community. It's free, and you can think of it as the after party to each podcast episode. You can sign up today at weareforgood.com backslash hello. One more thing, if you loved what you heard today, would you mind leaving us a podcast rating and review? It means the world to us and your support helps more people find our community. Thanks, friends. I'm our producer, Julie Comfer, and our theme song is Sunray by Remy Borsboom. Rabbit fans have always powered the We Are For Good podcast, but now Rabbit fans can get even more goodness and access by joining Good Friends. It's our listener support community for the We Are For Good podcast. Good Friends comes with perks, exclusive episodes with John and I, including The Good Brief, our new monthly cliff notes of the greatest takeaways and lessons learned from that month, and exclusive AMA episodes where we answer your burning questions and tap our community of experts. Join now or learn more at weareforgood.com backslash friends. We can't wait to see you inside. That's weareforgood.com slash friends.